The City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Serving as a member of a city council or town council requires that the council member be a resident of that city or town. And questions about residency are something that often comes up in discussions about the council's activity. We are going to be talking about those residency requirements today. I'm Russell Cox, editor of the Municipal Association of South Carolina's Uptown Publication. I have with me Eric Scheidel, the association's general counsel. Eric, how are you? I'm great today. Thanks, Russell. Glad to hear. And I also have with me Charlie Barano. And uh, Charlie is one of the association's two field services managers, providing technical and support services among the cities and towns. Charlie, how are you? Hey, Russell. It's great to be here today. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So to begin, let's talk about what the legal standards are with these residency um, questions. Eric, can, can I start with you? Yeah, sure. I'm glad, glad to handle that. It, it, it starts with what seems to be a fairly simple question. Uh, there are two constitutional provisions for holding office, elected office in the state of South Carolina, and both of those are really implemented in Section 5-15-20, 5-15-20 of our code. Uh, for municipal office. And what it says, in short, is that to be an elected official for a municipality, you have to be a qualified elector for the office that you are running for or hold. So what does it mean to be a qualified elector? It, it means you're eligible to vote for that office. So if you, you know, analytically, it's a pretty simple question. D- does a person have the right to run for or hold a municipal office? Well, are they eligible to vote for that office? Uh, This applies not just at large. You have to be, you you know, a qualified elector for the city that you're running for. But also if you have single member wards, you have to be a qualified elector for the ward that you're running for. So what does it mean to be a qualified elector? In, In just a few words, it means you're eligible to vote. Voter eligibility turns in part on your residence. There's other qualifications, but, you know, you can vote where your residence is. So what you do is you go to, rather than the elected office statutes, you go to the voter registration statutes, and you'll see in Title VII that there is a statute that defines what it means to be a resident of of a certain address, and it it actually uses the word domicile. Uh, I'm going to read the definition. A person's residence is his domicile. This is straight from the statute. That means a person's fixed home where he has an intention of returning when he is absent. A person has only one domicile. For voting purposes, a person changes his domicile if one, he abandons his prior home, and two, has established a new home with a present intent to make that place his home. So, so the key point is, where, where is your residency, your domicile, for voting purposes and therefore for holding elected office purposes? Well, it's a question of intent. And in many cases, it, it gets confusing. Some people might have more than one address. Some people might spend time with different family members. Charlie will talk about some of this. But 7125, the definition of domicile, gives a list of factors to consider when you're trying to figure out what somebody's domicile is. Where do they reside? And I'm just going to look at some of them. You can look at the address reported on tax returns. You can look at real estate interest, including tax assessments. You can look at physical mailing address. 
You can look at the driver's license address. Um, you can look at automobile registration. You can look at where the person keeps his or her personal property. Now, the key is all of these are factors that you may consider. None of them are determinative. There is no smoking gun that once you know this one <laughs> fact, mm-hmm. it, it's ultimately always a fact question based on that person's intent. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I understand, Charlie, you've seen some complex examples of this in the field. Sure. Eric and Russell, residency is a regular question that, that we receive in the, the field service manager office here with the association. Some of the things that, uh, as, as Eric said, the, the, the specific fact determinants, you know, their circumstances. Maybe an elected official is going through a separation from their spouse and they move out of the home and they move to a home outside of, of the, the municipal boundary of, of the city, but they still have an intent possibly of, of coming back into the home that's in the city. Another example, what would happen if you're, uh, if you're an elected official and your parent or somebody else, another family member, uh, needs a live-in, uh, live-in assistance, and so you make the determination that you need to maybe temporarily go live with your mom or dad to help them. Well, does that mean that you've moved outside of your domicile or is your intent to return? We, we have a lot of scenarios in, in our state where elected officials own two homes. Maybe the spouse decides that her or his uh, home is a different, a different domicile than the other spouse. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting uh, scenario that receives some questions. Also have heard maybe a council member is in the remodeling business and maybe they decide to remodel the home that they reside in inside the town and for some time move into another home, apartment, whatever, another domicile outside the town. Does that mean residency has changed? And then a last uh, interesting question that we've had is, what happens if a parcel is split by the municipal boundary? And interestingly enough, a portion of that parcel where the improvement, the house, is, is actually outside the town, but the other portion of the parcel is inside the town. So is that elected official in or out? So these are the questions that, that we receive and that many of our municipalities struggle with to ensuring residency. And when you look at the cases, Charlie, and the AG opinions, they what, what, what you see is it's always a very factually specific question. And, and, and the language, I want to say the key language is, where do you have an intention to return? Mm-hmm. So, Charlie, a lot of the examples you gave are, are times when maybe somebody's temporarily away. They've temporarily relocated. They've, you know, but, but you have this idea of where do you intend to return? You know, uh, home is where the heart is, basically, <laughs> uh, is really the legal standard here. So, so you get a lot of really complicated situations. Mm-hmm. So, so, Eric, when a dispute does occur, what can be done at that point when there is a dispute about where a person's residency is? Well, it, it's going to be helpful. So, Russell, it's a great question. I wish there were an easy answer. And, and, and it comes up in a lot of different contexts. So, sometimes it comes up when there's a sitting council member, a council member is, has already been elected. 
and his his or her fellow council members have doubts about that council member's residency. Mm-hmm. There is a procedure in Title V. It's under 5-7-210, and it says, the council itself shall be the judge of the election and qualifications of its members. And so, in theory, a council can can act as a as a quasi-judicial body in passing on the residency of one of its members. Mm-hmm. They have the power to subpoena witnesses, administer oaths, and require the production of evidence. So they can they can formally investigate a sitting council member. It's politically very awkward. It's subject to appeal. It can create a lot of bad feelings. I, I haven't seen, Charlie, I'd be curious, I haven't seen this used very often. That's correct. Yeah, I would agree. So, so and it's <clears throat> let's call it an extraordinary remedy for a sitting council member. Mm-hmm. The, the question very often, though, comes up in, in, in other situations. It's, it's not the council itself. It's a member of the public or the council member has not been elected yet. The council member is a candidate and either an opponent during the election process or someone in the community says, I have concerns about that person's residency. Really, there's no clear procedural mechanism to do that except for to bring a court action and to bring a court action it's you know obviously it takes time it can almost never be completed if a person's running for office Mm -hmm. before the election if it's a private citizen it's it's going to cost money how do you finance the lawsuit but but really it would be what's called a declaratory judgment action you just simply ask a court court i want you to declare on this legal question Give me a judgment that declares this person's residence. And if it's important enough to either a private citizen or to a competing candidate, then court action is, is really the way to go. One thing that, that, that is an interesting possibility is, I said when we started, that eligibility to hold office turns on eligibility to vote. And there is a very streamlined and cost-effective way to challenge a person's eligibility to vote. Basically, you can go to the county election commission, and this is in Title Seven, and you can say that person's not an eligible voter here. They don't have a residency here. And the county election commission can make a determination, and it's very quick. It turns around in less than two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's 10 days. I, I, you know, I'm not sure the exact time, but, but the point is it's very quick. And you would think, logically, if the determination is made the person can't vote here, for this office, that means they can't hold the office. It's it's just they're logically connected. Mm-hmm. But but what we've learned in the years we've been doing this is that at the state level, state officials will not remove a person from the ballot based on an election commission's determination. That they require court determination. So so I I think you know we could explore this a little bit more. But the but the point is there's no easy way to resolve these. In most cases, either the council itself, when it's a sitting council member, has to do the hard work of resolving it, acting as a court. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot. Or you have to bring a court action. And because of the time and expense, um, th- that doesn't happen a lot either. And so what you find is that, unfortunately, these questions, and I'm sure Charlie will have some insight of this, they tend to linger. They can just, they kind of just recur. So... Charlie, from from your standpoint, you know, we talk about there not being an easy answer. Right. Uh, what would you say that people could consider when these questions, these disputes come up? Sure. And I, Russell, I, 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 when I receive these calls, I, I tell folks really the key is, is communication. A lot, as, as Eric said, a lot of this 
it just needs to be clear. And, and we as, as citizens, we tend to think that our residency is a private matter. But when you're elected you're, 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 or you're running for a public office, you're now a public citizen. And so it, it's fair game to ask residency questions. And so I recommend that elected officials where residency is in question be forthright and forthcoming with their fellow elected officials, their mayor, their council members. If you're going to possibly be living in a temporarily uh, with the intent to return the scenarios that I mentioned, explain that to your fellow council members. Give them a heads up because I can assure you, you've got citizens in your neighborhood going, why is certain council members' car not at their house anymore? And so you want to head those off. You want to have a conversation. And if there's ever a question particularly if you're, you're the mayor um, when, with one of these circumstances, have a conversation with the council member. Ask them, uh, ask if they can produce any of these documents, uh, whether it's, a, as Eric said, driver's license, and, and try to avoid going down the path of, of these uh, public hearings and questions. You, you just want to cut that off and, and be honest and, and move forward and, and, and try to avoid avoid these circumstances. You know, Charlie, one thing I pick up on as a common theme among the advice we have in these areas is it's always about clear communication and decorum. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, you know, it goes down to respect. And if, and if somebody can present um, their intent to reside and, and that's where they selected as their domicile, then it, it, it shouldn't be questioned and the council really needs to move on. Yeah, I think, and I would say, you know, for the, for the candidates whose residence, for the candidates or council members whose residence is being questioned, uh, go down the checklist in 7125 and, and try to make sure that you're, you're doing the right things to build a factual case. You know, keep your driver's license, your voter registration, your mailing address, et cetera, at, at the location you want to maintain. It's not conclusive, but it but it helps. You know, you just want to be thoughtful about this. I, I could ask this. I, I know you know where the South Carolina Code of Law is found, and in in working with you, I've read it many times as well. Where could people go if they wanted to read the South Carolina Code of Law? On the South Carolina General Assembly's website, under the, there is a tab for legislation. The South Carolina Code and the Constitution are both there. Absolutely, I believe SC State House. .gov, I believe. Right. So in addition to building the factual record, one thing that an elected official uh, subject to questions about residency, uh, it's probably not a great idea to vote somewhere else than the office you hold. So, so for example, if, you're, if you have two, two addresses, one's in a different ward or in an unincorporated area, it probably mm-hmm. is the, the best call to vote in the place that you're claiming as your residency. Well, I believe that covers everything I had to cover. Charlie, Eric, thank you guys so much for joining us to talk about this. Well, Russell, this is one of those times when I'm sure our listeners say, I thought you were going to answer my questions. (laughs) And and, and unfortunately, uh, I I wish, I'm sure, Charlie, that you and I have spent enough time on this. We wish you could say there is a clear and easy answer to these questions. There's not. It's, it's kind of a, a case by case That's right. situation. Yeah. Well, thanks, Russell. All right. Thank, Thank you, you guys. Russell. 
The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www.masc.sc and stay up to date with the association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.